What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rookie Ball, the podcast where you want to go if you need to know anything sports. I am always am your host, Phoenix Hygis, and we just wrapped up season one with the Bengals special. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season two. So, at the time I am recording this, we have officially passed the first Sunday without the NFL. And it feels weird. It feels weird not to have football to watch. Baseball is on a lockdown right now, so spring training is not happening. Hockey just got done with their All-Star game, so they're kind of in that break going back towards into the season. Soccer, as I said, I don't pay too much attention to, but I'm going to try more and more. The only sport that had a big event going on was the NBA. So let's get into the NBA. Pulls up, three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good! Now, for those who don't know, the NBA All-Star Weekend has just passed. And I gotta admit, in one of my tweets, I said that I predicted the NFL Pro Bowl would be more exciting than the NBA All-Star Game. And I was wrong. I will take my L on that one. Not only was the game exciting, but the events before outside of the slam dunk contest, I enjoyed much more than the skills showdown in the NFL. So big props to the NBA making an all-star game somewhat entertaining. I will not give it a 10 out of 10. It had its flaws. It wasn't the most exciting thing to watch. I'll give it a, it was a six. Because the NFL was like a 3, and for me, the MLB All-Star Game is like a 2. NBA was a 6. Hockey, NHL, I really enjoyed. I would give that a 7 or 8. I really liked the All-Star Game in the NHL. But let's get into it. What happened in the NBA All-Star Weekend? We'll start off with what I think is the least paid attention to event and the NBA All-Star Game, and that is the Rising Stars event, which I'm really curious why that is so lowly rated typically in viewers, because the Rising Stars game shows what the the future of the NBA is, what this next era of young players coming in. And so it's interesting to see people not want to watch that, the best of the best of the now young new NBA. But getting into it, So the Rising Stars Challenge had a bit of a different format this year. They had two games playing to 25 between Team Barry and Team Isaiah, obviously legends, in the NBA world. We got to see a lot of impressive performances. We saw Jalen Green go off. Precious Achua had his moments at times. But in the end, Cade Cunningham ended up winning MVP of the Rising Stars Challenge. Now, if you go and look at his stats, it's not the most impressive thing in the world, but apparently, from what I saw in the highlights, he had, like, the game-winning free throw. He he had a lot of good moments, it seemed like. That being said, the Rising Stars Challenge, this new format that happened, I don't know if I enjoy it a lot. Now, I'm not saying that the Team World versus Team USA was something amazing but i feel like it's really exciting to see a show put on 
And a lot of people fight for competition in the All-Star game. They want more competitive games, and I agree. But I also want All-Star games and All-Star weekends for every sport to kind of be an experiment too, to kind of be a festival to show off how freakishly athletic these people are. So yes, I agree. I do want some competitiveness in it. I want some competition between a team and another team. But it's also really cool to see a player like John Morant or Zion Williamson when he's healthy come out and throw out the meanest dunks they can in the middle of the Rising Stars Challenge. So a lot of people say that they need to go heavy competition. I personally would like them to find a happy medium between a competitive level and a, basically a, a showcase of what these players can do. The next event, the Skills Challenge, also had a new format, and still, even though the Skills Challenge is not the most fun thing to watch in the world, beat out this year's Slam Dunk Contest, the new format of the NBA Skills Challenge, they had three, they had three sets, basically. They had a point where you shoot it, basically the points were laid out in certain spots of the floor, and if you made it from that shot, then you got those points. They then had a passing uh, set of games where you couldn't pass in the same lane twice and you tried to rack up as many points as possible. That was very fun, very electric, very fast. I enjoyed it. And then the final event, you had the typical skills challenge, maneuvering through things, passing through a hoop, and of course making a layup, etc., etc. This year, they did it in teams of three, and they did three teams of three. They had the rookies, which was Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, and Josh Giddy, I believe. Then they had the Antetokounmpo's, which were, of course, the three Antetokounmpo brothers, which I thought was very fun, even though they underperformed heavily. And then they had the Cleveland Cavs. So I really want to know what went into picking the teams because I thought it was very interesting I know it was played in Cleveland so maybe they're just picking the team that is hosting the all-star game but they had the Cavs which consisted of Darius Garland Evan Mobley and Jared Allen two of them being all-stars so that being said also is very okay with me I had no problem with them being a team the skills challenge is already a very fast-paced electric intense event at the all-star weekend and for some reason, this felt a little less exciting than previous years. I'm not saying this year's idea was a bad idea. I had fun watching this. I've always enjoyed watching the skills challenge. But I kind of like the idea of a bracket that head-to-head -head, you are against your enemy right there feeling. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that. But I like the previous ways that they did the skills challenge compared to this year but that being said i will not be upset if they continue it to do it this way for future years so i like what the nba is doing uh the other the other events didn't really change that much really not at all but i really like that the nba is just trying new things because a lot of people need to try and do that the nfl tried it slightly with their skills showdown but it wasn't anything like crazy. It wasn't any big changes. It was like, let's throw in some new events here and there. So whereas the NBA, I think, is let's keep what's good going, but let's make it even more exciting. Let's change it up a little bit. And I really enjoyed that they did that. 
Now, without a doubt, the least exciting event of the All-Star Weekend had to be the Slam Dunk Contest. And I'll admit, I'm genuinely upset. I'm not the biggest NBA fan in the world, but the Slam Dunk Contest used to be what you looked forward to in an All-Star Weekend. Most people really didn't even call, care about the All-Star Game. It was just, I want to see the Slam Dunk Contest. And now, if you say that, you're weird. I've never heard anybody in the last two years be like, I'm so excited for the slam dunk contest. And I'll tell you why. Even in 2015 and 2016, when the stars of all stars said that they did not want to be in the all, uh, in the slam dunk contest anymore, the LeBron James, the, the Kobe Bryant's, they still had very reputable names. You know, I get Cole Anthony is good, but... Coy Anthony right now was not better than 2016 Zach Levine. He was not better, questionably not better than 2016 Aaron Gordon. He definitely wasn't better than Dwight Howard at the time. So, so when you're at, truly asking me, I think the slam dunk contest is really in a lost spot. And a lot of people will blame it on a lot of creativity has already been taken in the past years. You know, once Blake Griffin jumped over a car, once Aaron Gordon did the hoverboard, there's not really much you can do. And I think that's the biggest BS I've ever heard in my entire life. You know, there's always new technology coming out that you can put into your dunks. We saw even Jalen Green institute some NFTs, which it's fun, but it had nothing to do with the dunk. And then he went on to miss like a billion times. I think what truly needs to happen with the slam dunk contest is make it more appealing to stars. You know, say you don't need all this time to think of your dunks. Just come out here and freestyle. And we want to see the best of the best dunkers go at it. Because you don't have Aaron Gordon doing it anymore. Zach Levine doesn't seem like he wants to do it anymore. And so in a spot like this, the NBA needs to learn how to appeal more to their players. Because they've had some trouble with that in the past. And I mean, in the biggest moments and the smallest of moments, sometimes the players and the committee can just not agree. And it's funny that I say that because obviously the MLB is having plenty more problems with that situation. But NBA being such a high-marketed sport, probably second right behind the NFL in America alone, they need to find a way to make the slam dunk contest like it was before. And I don't really have any true, like, explainable answers to them right now, but I'm just not excited to watch the names in it anymore. I'm not excited to watch the dunks. There hasn't been a 50 dunk in the past two dunk contests. And that hasn't happened since 2001. So there's obviously a problem. And I can sit here and give you plenty of ideas. But at the end of the day, it is up to the NBA bars. But that being said, Obi Toppin won the NBA dunk contest. Did he do anything crazy? Absolutely not. It's so weird because it also just popped in my head that Diallo, when he won it, sorry, I don't want to butcher his first name, uh, but on the Thunder just a couple years ago, he's a guy that most people didn't know, but his name got recognized because of his creativity in the All-Star game and the, and the dunk contest. And so now it's making me question, no, like they can have no names in there that people don't know and still have it be exciting. He jumped over Shaq and 
elbowed into the rim. So, completely retract my statement. I do think it would be cool to have big names in there, but it is not necessary in any way. The NBA three-point contest was very exciting. Not as exciting as some of the other moments in the All-Star weekend, but a center winning the three-point contest is revolutionary to the game. We're all very aware that shooting has become a giant part of the NBA in the last eight to ten years, but I think this was a moment of real turning that a center in Carl Anthony Towns, respect to him, has won the three-point contest against some of the best three-point shooters in the league, some of the best alive, etc., etc. This man has been through a lot the last year, last two years with COVID and losing his mother. And obviously, he's a member of the Timberwolves, which is very sad in its own sense. And to be on this big of a stage for him to have this type of moment, it, it almost feels movie-like and almost feels scripted just like the NFL, but I'm kidding, I'll, I'll get off that, I'll get off that whole train right there, but Carl Anthony Towns winning the, the three-point contest, not only is it great for him, but it's great for the NBA, you get to involve centers and power forwards more in the three-point contest for the future, hopefully we get to see a Jokic in there someday, or just any player that can stretch the floor as a four or five, I had a lot of enjoyment watching it and cat was on fire in the final round to take it home the final event in the all-star weekend was of course the all-star game between team lebron and team durant sadly of course durant was not playing as he has an injury but i gotta say i've had a couple years to warm up to this whole first to 162 rule I believe it is I, I think it's that this new 100 first 262 rule and I really enjoy it I think it finds that perfect balance of having fun showing off your talents while also making the game actually competitive when you put it in past years before this limit was put you had this sense that nobody was really trying it was just score as much as you possibly could but now you give them a limit and you give them less possibilities to just sit there and absolutely do nothing, and you give them more of a competitive edge because now it's the first to the score wins this game. And before, it was just West versus East. You know, it was, a, it was a chance to play against the guys you don't get to a lot during the season. Now it's more of a sense of one player, the captains pick a team, and they say, man, go against your teammates, show off against them if you can. You know, it's after watching this weekend, I, I would like the other sports to just kind of watch the NBA, see what they're doing. They're testing out stuff. They're changing stuff every single year and saying, all right, is this going to work? Is this going to be better? And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it does. And whether it doesn't or not, they change it up the next year. Because nobody is going to want to watch the same thing over and over and over and over again. The only time I've seen that consistent and is starting to slip off in the last couple of years is the NBA dunk contest. That's the only time I'm watching something and possibly the home run derby. I think that's questionable. I think the home run derby is exciting. 
but it's kind of lost its hype over the years. I think everyone would just kind of want to watch the highlights instead of watching a two-hour, hour-and-a-half slam uh, home run derby in the MLB. So that's what I'm saying. It's hard to do a long event, a 45-minute to an hour-and-a-half type event and not have the highlights seem more appealing to just watch the exciting the good moments i mean hell you can even go online right now and outside of the all-star game find the highlights for the all-star weekend in like a 20 minute clip and that's three events that were 30 minutes to an hour long so obviously you can blame the world of technology all you want on this category but the fact is they need to kind of follow more of an NBA skills challenge type format where it's just these really quick moving things that just happen and happen and keep going and keep going. And it's always moving. It's always keeping the audience's attention. When I'm watching the slam dunk contest the last couple of years, I'm just sitting there. And as soon as there's a boring dunk, as soon as somebody doesn't perform that well or has something not that entertaining, I'm instantly bored because now I have to watch this guy do that for five to seven minutes, watch the highlights of him doing the dunk, wait for the scores, and then wait for the next guy to get set up. That's a five to seven minute window that is not ads where I just have to watch this guy do an, an, an unimpressive dunk. Whereas with the skills challenge, outside of course commercial breaks, I'm just watching these guys go, they're moving, they're maneuvering, they're passing, they're going back and forth. You're always focusing on a different guy at every second. And it was also that case with the tournament idea. And obviously there was a little repetition with that, uh, with the skills challenge of the previous years, but it actually kept you engaged with the competition. It made sure that you were always focusing on more than one thing at all times. And I find that very exciting. I think a lot of people need to follow the formula that most sports, most athletes kind of need to learn how to adapt to that type of competition. Sorry to go on my little rant there, but yes, the All-Star game, I had a lot of fun watching. LeBron had some clutch moments. And I'll tell you, even even right there is a great example. LeBron's fadeaway to win the game. It was exciting. It was intense. Next point wins this game. And LeBron, of all people, of course, made this clutch, amazing fadeaway to win the game. And there was celebration. You know, it was, it was a three-point game at the end of the day. It ended by the smallest of margins and basically won on a quote-unquote buzzer beater and you saw a celebration you saw joy you saw true energy in the winning team of this game which I think needs to be instituted more into all-star games I don't see that same excitement when a team wins in an all-star game especially with the pro bowl this past year which we can all agree is the worst pro bowl in NFL history at the end of the game, you didn't see any energy in the team that won. You just said, oh, good game. All right, that was fun. I enjoyed that. I had fun with that. And I'm always up for for players having fun. But like I said, find a happy medium. And the NBA absolutely did in terms of the actual all-star game. 
looking at the fun aspect of it, Steph Curry winning All-Star Game MVP absolutely went off. Destroyed the record for three-pointers made in the NBA All-Star Game and was only two points off of tying the NBA record for most points in an All-Star Game set by Anthony Davis when he also won All-Star Game MVP. It was super fun to watch Steph Curry, his look-back threes, his great energy amongst the court, always having fun, but also just showing off his skills and how amazing he is at the game of basketball. Watching Giannis do Giannis things, always being competitive during the All-Star game, I absolutely love it. And I think that's also a part, you gotta have characters. You gotta have the guy that is just having fun there, like a Steph Curry, but also showing off his talents. You gotta have a guy there that is literally just there to goof off, and a guy like Jokic. And you gotta have a guy that's serious about it. You gotta have a Giannis. You gotta have a guy who truly wants to go in there and destroy everybody on the court, win the game, dunk on everybody. And I think that's what a lot of teams are missing. The last point I want to bring up is something I was talking to my brother a lot about last night on why I think the NBA All-Star Game still beats out NFL and MLB's All-Star Game. And the reason for that is the ability to have those big names out on the court at any time. Now, obviously, you can switch out players with the NFL, but you want to try and have everybody have an equal opportunity to play. So... Once one quarterback has played a quarter, he's done for the game. A new quarterback comes in, and we'll see him probably for the rest of the game. But the MLB, it's an even bigger problem. Due to the MLB's rules, once a player is subbed out, they cannot come back in. I think there's a very specific rule where they can come in for, like, one at bat. But it's nothing that, you know, anybody thinks too seriously about. Once a player is subbed out, they're gone in the MLB, and that's how it is, and you don't get to see them perform at all. So, once the starters are out, the big names in the MLB, the guys that are leading this season, are not allowed to come back in for the big moments, the ninth inning, the the game-tying run in the bottom of the ninth. And that's really unenjoyable. Nobody wants to watch the lowest-tier closer against one of the lower tier batting all-stars go up in the final at bat of the game. That makes it much less intense. My best example, and I'm a Reds fan, so this should tell you, Scooter Jeanette was up against like somebody I'd never heard of, and he ended up hitting a home run, but nobody wanted to watch Scooter Jeanette in a game-tying situation. He just wasn't that big of a household name at that point. And nor was he ever really. So watching a moment like that is like, no, I would rather want a Bryce Harper. I want a Mike Trout in that type of situation. With the NBA, you can absolutely do that. With the NBA, they take guys out and they have a limited amount of players. And they take guys out and they bring them back in. LeBron can come in the first quarter, sit out the second quarter. And then he comes in and plays the third and fourth quarter. Because especially in a moment that they showed on Sunday night when LeBron hit the game winner, that's a moment you want to have. And you can't have that in the MLB, and you can't have that truly in the NFL. You can have the top guy, the number one vote-getter, make the winning shot at the end of the game. 
and that's why i really enjoyed about the nhl all-star game and as i've been saying this entire episode i just think that the other two sports really need to adapt more to be like the nhl and the nba because i enjoyed watching their all-star games which i feel like hasn't been where that trend has been going lately for all-star games so it's really nice to sit down and enjoy an all-star weekend an all-star game so thank you nba and nhl for making the all-star game fun again <laughs> and yes I, I i said what i just said and i absolutely regret saying it but it's it's funny i'm mocking him Now, considering that the NBA All-Star Game has happened, that also means that it is basically the NBA midpoint. And some things are starting to take shape in the standings right now. We're starting to see we're starting to see the true contenders in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. We're starting to see the players that are really sticking out as MVP candidates this year. And I've done my somewhat NBA predictions. I've talked about I think it's going to go one through eight. So I'm more into predicting some of the awards this season midway through and predicting my championship, my NBA finals. So getting right into it in the Eastern Conference, the top four teams right now in the Eastern Conference are the Miami Heat, the Chicago Bulls, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I cannot believe they're there. And right below them is the Milwaukee Bucks, and I'm going to include them because I think they're absolute contenders. And the Brooklyn Nets sitting down at the 8th seed. Now if you're asking me if Brooklyn does stay in that 8th spot and obviously wins the play-in game and makes the playoffs, that's a really scary 8th seed. And I'm not saying that just because of their star power. I truly think that when healthy, when Durant and Kyrie and Ben can play together, that this team is really dangerous and if i'm a one seed and they stay an eight seed i might be trying to push myself back a little bit to try and get that number two seed because yes even if you beat them you get to have home court advantage the rest of the eastern conference playoffs avoiding the brooklyn nets would be a very smart move considering the two teams right above them are the toronto raptors and boston celtics which in my preference, are a much easier matchup than playing against the Brooklyn Nets. But who do I think is going to come out of the Eastern Conference? Right now, I'm trying to decide between the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the Bucks will move up a little more in the standings as the season goes on. Hopefully, Chris Middleton gets it back a little bit more than he has been lately. Obviously, the Cleveland Cavaliers will be a famous uh, fan pick. You know, a team that everyone roots for. But I'm going to go with the Milwaukee Bucks. I think they go back to the NBA Finals. Giannis is just too competitive, too dominant of a player to not make it back there. So I'm going to go with the Milwaukee Bucks. I say they move up in the standings, definitely get to a top three seed by the end of the season. And move on to the NBA Finals. Dark horse pick. And I don't think it's really that dark horse of a pick there at the top of the standings. But Chicago Bulls, I think 
would be the, the team that would get there that I wouldn't be surprised that they got there. Uh, they have a very balanced team. They have a star player in DeMar DeRozan. Of course, Zach Levine is very good in his own. When Lonzo Ball is healthy, he's a very dominant player. And of course, they have Vucevic, who, same situation as Lonzo Ball, when healthy, plays at a very high level. So the Chicago Bulls, I think, have a very balanced team, have stayed up top of the standings for most of the season, so I would not be surprised to be there. But I'm going to go with the Milwaukee Bucks. In the Western Conference, this isn't very competitive anymore. The Suns are running away with this, but in recent news, Chris Paul has a fractured thumb and will be out a few weeks. That is big. Because I think Devin Booker is amazing. I think DeAndre Ayton is amazing. But I don't know without Chris Paul's leadership how this team will perform in the next few weeks. And I wonder if we see that six and a half game lead on second place starts to diminish slightly as Chris Paul is down on the floor. Now the Western Conference is a little harder to predict. I think a lot of the teams that we probably expected to be atop of the standings are not there. Obviously, the Clippers have gone through insane injuries this season. The Timberwolves are in there as a surprise. And the Grizzlies sit at the number three seed right now. But with all that being said, even with Clayback and Draymond playing at a high level, without a doubt, my favorite to make the NBA Finals is the Phoenix Suns. And yes, I know, boring. I think we're going to have a rematch of last season's Finals. And I think Chris Paul is back there for revenge. Now, obviously, I'm not going to sit here and do a whole analysis of why I think the Suns will make the finals. I will do that when the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals roll around. But I think Chris Paul will be back there for revenge. And I think in my prediction halfway through the season that the Phoenix Suns are without a doubt the NBA finals favorite and my pick to win the NBA finals this year. That being said, moving on to the NBA awards this season, I'll just be focusing on the main ones such as MVP, the Defense Player of the Year, the Rookie of the Year, and the Most Improved Player. That's the only ones I'm going to get hooked on. We'll talk about Coach of the Year and Sixth Man of the Year at the end of the season, although Sixth Man of the Year is already locked. Tyler Hero, as I said at the beginning of the season, is most definitely winning Sixth Man of the Year. So there you go. There's that one right there. So we'll go from what I think is the least important award to the most important award, starting with the most improved player. A lot of people say Miles Bridges. I think this one is very easy for me. Darius Garland, without a doubt, is the most improved player. Not only did he not play at a level he's playing right now last season, he also was injured last season just as he was starting to heat up. And this season he's playing at an all-star level. He is an all-star. He was an all-star, I should say. And he's being the leader right now of a team that is surprising everyone by being the four seed in the NBA with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So most improved player, without a doubt for me, has to go to Darius Garland. Defensive player of the year, I also think is a very dominated category. Draymond Green has played at an amazing level. I think you can make arguments for Antetokounmpo, but Draymond Green has always been a player defensively that, that helps in so many more ways than one, and it doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but we always appreciate him because he's a player you need on your team, the vocal guy that'll really just be the motivator. And I absolutely agree, Draymond Green should be Defensive Player of the Year. 
Rookie of the Year is a category that I think will switch up as the season goes. Right now, the clear favorite is absolutely Evan Mobley. He's played an insane level. He's playing on a winning team. That being said, I think there's a lot more consideration that has to go into a player like Josh Giddy, that is averaging almost triple doubles every game and has had a few even there. Cade Cunningham, even though he didn't play even though he didn't play super well at the beginning of the season, he has absolutely picked it up. And in terms of the last few weeks, is by far the most dominant rookie right now. So I think there's a lot of consideration. You even have Scotty Barnes coming in there at points. But right now, we'll sit with Evan Mobley. He's been the most dominant. But I have absolutely no doubt that a player like Cade or Giddy can come in here and absolutely steal that award from him. Now the final award has a lot more argument in it. The MVP has players like Jokic, Embiid, Antetokounmpo, Curry, DeRozan, all five of those players playing at an amazing level. You even have a player like LeBron, even though he was injured for a couple weeks, is still playing at a LeBron-esque level. That being said, I gotta pick one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA. I personally think Nikola Jokic is going back-to-back -back with the MVPs. Which I know is a hard thing. Not a lot of players go back to back. They kind of have a bias of not wanting to go back to back. But Jokic is it, it's just a freak human. The man does the man does triple doubles like it's nothing. As a center too, which is the most amazing thing about it. The man can shoot. The man leads a team. The Nuggets are still a playoff team this year, even without Jamal Murray. Nikola Jokic is on a different level for me than any of these other players, and I can't wait to watch him continue to play like that. That being said, no discredit to Joel Embiid, who's playing at his amazing level. Giannis, who I believe will continue to be an MVP candidate for the rest of his career, and it stinks because I feel like the level he's playing at right now is expected of him at this point, and it shouldn't be because the man plays insane especially for the amount of minutes he plays in a game he plays a lot less minutes than everyone else on this list and continues to put up close to if not the same numbers as all of these guys that being said the clear dark horse as he has been the entire season for the mvp award is most definitely demar derozan the man is not single-handedly but full-heartedly leading a Chicago Bulls team to the top of the Eastern Conference. The man is top five in scoring. He continues to be a leader, a veteran on a young team that is looking to be competitive for years to come. And to anybody that said in the past that the Chicago Bulls getting DeMar DeRozan was a very unfortunate and bad move, you look like fools now, and I'm going to be honest, I was not a part of that train. I thought it was a very good move for them to be competitive with a player like Zach Levine on their team already. That being said, when I say Dark Horse in this sense, I mean more that most likely he will not win this award. I'm going to stick with my prediction. I got Nikola Jokic winning the NBA MVP and taking it home for the second straight year. So just to wrap it up, yes, every sport with your all-star game, be like the NBA. And I cannot wait because, ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time we have for this episode. I cannot wait to start 
this season two of rookie ball to get into more sports to dive into areas of sports to specific sports in general that i have never gotten the chance to really get into and i'm so excited to do it with all of you guys and i really hope you enjoyed season one you enjoyed the Bengals special and i hope you even enjoy more season two so i hope you guys have an amazing week i will see you guys on friday and i will also see you guys on the flippity flip get out of here